Well, good morning, church family. Let me welcome you today. We're excited that you're here, and uh, it is a great day in the Lord. Uh, we've had great worship, and it's great to see you on spring break. We've got a lot of our church family that are traveling and going to be gone this week, so certainly pray for them. Also, remember to pray for our team in Kenya. It's been two years since we've been able to get back into that country, and uh, Jess and Jana have been doing a fabulous job, and uh, we're excited about what uh, this team is doing this week. Nate was preaching today, and uh, they're in Kenya. And so pray for them. They'll be there the rest of the week and be traveling back home over the weekend. So remember them in your prayers, if you will. This morning, I want you to take God's Word. Turn, if you will, to the Gospel of Mark with me. Mark chapter 12 today. We're going to be looking at verses 28 uh, through 31. And if you were here last week, you know that uh, we're continuing our series on Above and Beyond. And we talked about last week, uh, how do you really trust God in hard times? And one of the things I statement that I made in that message was that the only way that you can really and truly trust God or trust anybody is to know them. You know, there are people in my life uh, that I'm able to go sit down with and be real with and be transparent with, I, and I trust them with anything and everything that I have. Uh, I can share the innermost struggles of my life, and they're going to still love me. They don't look at me like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, preacher, you're struggling with that. And, uh, and that means a great deal to me. Uh, they are, they're more than they're more than friends, or they're like family to me. But the only reason why that I'm able to do that is because I, have, I know them, and they know me. The only way that you can really and truly trust God is to know Him. I want to take that a step further today, though, and talk more about to really know Him is to actually love Him. Now, before we jump into this sermon this morning and look at this text, I want to make a statement to you, and it's one of those that you'll probably wrestle with a little bit until you understand what I'm saying. Here's the statement. God's principles, that is God's truth, God's word, God's principles, do not change your life in and of themselves. In other words, God says that His will and desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is a wonderful statement. It's a powerful statement. It is a true statement. But it doesn't become a reality into your life until you act upon it. In other words, one of the things you have to understand that somewhere along the way, you've got to take those principles and those truths that you may read and that you may know, but the only way they change your life is when you act in faith upon them. Otherwise, they're just black ink on white paper. Just simply knowing more facts and more ideas and more principles even if those principles are true, certainly they are in the Word of God, but they do not have the power to change your life until you act upon them. So the power to change your life, to transform your life, begins with faith. That you have to trust those promises. You've got to believe in them. You've got to trust the God who made those. And then you act in faith. You believe. You act in faith. You repent. You act in faith and you say, God, I trust you with all that I have. Well, we come to this commandment that we know as the great commandment. Many of you may know that uh, in this story, the Pharisees and the Sadducees basically were on a quest trying to get Jesus to, to say something to the crowd that would, first of all, cause the crowd to disown him and leave him. If that didn't work, they certainly were looking for ways to trick him in the Roman government so they would throw him in jail. But in the story that we're going to look at this morning, there was a scribe that was so impressed he comes not trying to lay a trap, but wanting to know truth. And listen to what he asked, beginning in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked, 
Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus responded and answered. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. That you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second, though, is this. Don't miss this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. Let me make a statement to you. There's no way in the world to do the last part of that statement unless you're really doing the first part. That is, there's no way to truly love our neighbor the way that we should unless we're truly loving God the way that we should. One of the things that I begin to realize as I walk through this is how in the world do you and I raise our affections toward God. Think about it for a moment. We live in a world today that pushes us to love our ease and love our comfort and love our toys and our jobs and our salaries and our retirement. And, and certainly we're to love mom and dad, but even to love them more. So how do, we, how do we love God more even than we love mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and yes, even grandkids? If you and I truly, truly love God, then you must know him. And the only way to come to truly know him is to spend time in his word. One of the words that echoes in this passage of scripture is the little word all. Go back and look at it. When he commands us that we're to love God, what? With all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. In other words, he's not saying, I want you to love me when it's convenient. I want you to love me with a partial commitment, a partial love, a partial strength. No, I want you to love me with the totality of who you are, with everything that you have. So what I want to do in this text this morning is I want to break this thing down to the simplest terms that you and I can understand what it really and truly means to love God and to love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Notice he says, we do love Him with our heart. Well, the heart is certainly... That, that emotion. It's the seat of your emotion. It's how you feel. God wants you and I, as His children, to love Him so much that we're not ashamed to express that love. Now, we love a lot of things today. As I said, we love our toys. We love to go on trips. We love this. We love that. And, and, and I'm amazed today because I think sometimes we, we get more excited about whether it's sports or our toy or whatever it may be that we have in our life, more than we love God. And really, to be honest with you, we talk more about those things then we do the things of God. So he says, you love me with all of your heart. He says, you're to love me with all of your soul. The word soul is an interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word shuke. It is, literally is the seat of the emotions. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. You have a will. You have a soul. But there are times that that soul can decide not to decide to allow your emotions to have full reins, if you will. So again, understand when you talk about the soul, it's really the totality of your life, your mind, your will, and your emotions. He says you're to love God with your mind. Your mind is certainly where you think. It's the thoughts, the impressions, the intelligence, the learning uh, happens within your life there. And when you put your faith and trust in God, God, God doesn't say you quit thinking. He wants you to think with your mind. Even he tells us that when we are struggling, he says, bring every thought under captivity. Why? Because he understands the importance of the mind and how important it is that you set your mind on things above and not things upon this earth. But then he says you're to love God with all of your strength. Strength is what we may think about when we come to that physical interaction of the world around you. 
It's the body that I have. It's the strength that I have. And at some point, the heart, the soul, the mind, and yes, even the love has to be translated into actions in the real world. It does take energy. It does take strength. And I am convinced that if you really and truly want to love God and truly know Him in a much deeper way, then these four things have to become a critical part of everything that you are. That is your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You can't love Him with just part of it. You've got to love Him with the totality of it. So what I want to do with you this morning is I want to take those apart for you. What does it really look like? What does it really mean when we say that God commands us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength? Because what I want you to understand is without this, without learning to do this, what I call actions, steps, moving in that reality, then all this does, it remains only ideas on a page. They don't change your life until you act upon them. There's only really two key points I want to give you this morning, and really the first one is the longest, and that is this, the extent of our love for God. Look at it again. He says, I want you to love me with all of your heart. I was reading just the other day, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, when he was speaking about Christian and Christian doctrine, he says there's a lot of people, that they know the doctrine, that is they know truth, but listen to how he explains it. He says their religion is like dead fish, cold, stiff, and when you take it into your hands, <laughs> there's no life in it whatsoever. Their souls never were stirred with it. Their hearts were never thrown into it. Thus, loving God is loving Him with all of your heart. In other words, this sense of loving God with your heart is, is not to be just this knowledge, just interacting that I know theology and I, know I, can, I can explain it, I can preach it, I can teach it. But how in the world do you really and truly love God with all of your heart? When I think of the heart, I certainly think of passion. When you go look into the Psalms, and I love the book of Psalms, David was a man after God's own heart. And yet the thing I love about David is we see the struggle of David, the confession of David, the brokenness of David. We see David worshiping. You see all the aspects of David's life, much like probably the roller coaster ride that a lot of us have today. And yet in that Psalms, there is a gold mine, unbelievable gold mine of wisdom about how to love God with all of your heart. Let me show you what he does. When David prays, and most of these psalms actually are prayers, I think there are times that you and I pray logically, I think there are times we pray consistently, I even think there are times we pray biblically. But I wonder, do we pray with the kind of passion that David prayed with? So emotional, not just words, not just lyrics, but this was the passion erupting from his heart. Let me show you a few. David says, first of all, you need to talk to God about your feelings. Listen to what he writes in Psalm 6, 6. He says, I am worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. I don't think David is just saying, hey, you know, Lord, I messed up today and I need you to forgive me. David is passionately crying out. Notice what he said all night long. I literally am flooding my bed. I'm soaking it with my tears. And then he talks about his own weakness. In Psalms 25, 16, he says, turn to me, Lord, and be merciful to me because I am lonely and I am weak. God, I can't do this in my own strength. I, I can't do this in my own sense of ability, but I, 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 you need to talk to God about your weakness. And then he says, talk to God about your strength. Psalms 24, 8 says, 
Who is the king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? What I love about that, it's not my strength, it's his strength through me. It's acknowledging God, I can't get through this without you. He says, talk to God about your fear. Psalm 55, 5 says, fear and trembling overwhelm me. I can't stop shaking. Has there ever been a moment or time in your life that you were so fearful about what you were facing, whether it's cancer or maybe a, a situation in a job or uh, a situation with your child or in your marriage, and, and literally you were praying with that kind of passion, God, I can't stop shaking, but I'm resting in you. He says, we need to talk to God about the desires of our hearts. He writes in Psalms 38, verse 9, You, Lord, know every one of my deepest desires, and even my nosy, my, my nosy grind, uh, groans are not secret to your heart. So he's got these things are not hidden from you. These are things that I'm transparent about, I'm open about. And then he says, openly and emotionally admit your sins to God. Psalms 38, 17 through 18, he says, I am on the verge of collapse, facing constant pain, but I confess my sin. I'm deeply sorry for what I have done. And then listen to this one. He says, you also need to shout aloud what you know to be true. Psalms 18, 1 through 2, he says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock, and whom I find protection. He is my shield, the strength of my salvation, and my stronghold. You cannot help but reading just those few Psalms that I read to you this morning and not understand that David was hurting and he was praying passionately but he understood where the strength came from he understood his weakness he understood all of these things and that's the way God wants you and I to love him but notice he says we're to love him with our soul again think about this your soul is that inner being it's literally what makes you you it is that distinctness about your life if I were to ask you this morning where's your heart you'd point right here where's your brain right here but where's your soul again when we think of that word soul shuke it's an interesting word the mind the will the emotions but also that word soul means to breathe behind this word is the idea that god breathes life into you that you and i are a living soul that you have an awareness held by nothing else in creation because god himself breathes this life into you the Greek word is psyche, which we get our English word psychology from. Again, it has to do with that will, that drive, that passion within your life, and the power to which you live. What's interesting is you put those two together, and all of a sudden you kind of have a clear idea, a clear vision of what the soul is. It literally is your desires and your passions. Your soul is that God-given personality. It is that will to decide. And it has to literally do with the direction that your life is taking. It is the essence of life itself. And your soul becomes that passion with which you are living passionately for the glory of God. It means that God gives you the capacity to truly love Him. Which brings me to that next word, passionately. Go back and read through the Word of God and you'll discover that Jesus tells unbelievable stories about the passion that people had for the things of God. Many of those stories have to do with the passion that an individual might have looking for something. Three of the most famous stories in the Word of God is one of the stories that has to do with a woman that lost the coin and she literally tears her house up trying to find that one lost coin. Or the story of the shepherd 
who lost one sheep leaves the 99 to go out and to find that one lost sheep. They do this with great passion, but probably the one I love the most is the story of the prodigal son. A dad who literally, I believe, got up every morning after his son had chosen to leave. And I believe he looked down that pathway, he looked down that road every morning, hoping, believing that somewhere that boy was going to be kicking up the dust as he was running back home. And one day he walks out there and he sees the dust and he sees the boy coming home. Because he finally was broken and he came to the reality, you know what, here I am eating with the swine, the pigs, and man, even my daddy's servants have it better than I have. I'm going home. And I love the response of the dad. Because the dad didn't, when the boy walked in, go, well, I could have told you you'd finally come back because you'd get tired of sleeping with the pigs. You know what he does? He says, put a robe on his shoulders and put sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. Go kill the fatty calf because we're going to celebrate. I want you to hear me this morning. All three of those stories are stories of men and women who passionately was seeking God and they were looking for that one lost coin, that one lost boy, that one lost sheep. And it literally is a portrait of the way God comes seeking after you and I. He lovingly, passionately comes for us. And he says, that's the kind of love that I want you to have for me. But then he takes it even a step further. He says, this is personal. It's not just collective. It's personally when I was working on this sermon, one of the things that leaped off the page for me was this. is family, there is no one in all of creation who can love God just like you can love God. Because when you love God, listen to me, you love Him with a unique voice. A voice that is different in tone. It's different than mine, as mine is different than yours. But it is a voice that is different because it's different in tone, it's different in the soul, and it's a voice that God can hear above all of creation. Think about it. Trillions of people, billions of people on this earth. And yet when you cry out in worship or praise or adoration or expressing your love to God, God hears your unique voice above everybody else's voice. Because you're special to Him. I, I think it, if it ever dawns on us, how much he loves you and I and how he so personally fashioned your life for his glory. That's why I, I love the fact, I, I love worship. When I'm at home and I'm worshiping, man, I, I, God doesn't care whether I'm on pitch, off pitch, whether I'm singing flat or singing sharp. Because what he's interested in is what's coming from my heart. Now, when I get singing off-pitch, Diane don't like it too much. My kids don't like it too much. But God loves it because it's, it's, that's not what he's interested in. I love the fact that God created you, and so that worship and that uniqueness of being able to worship him and praise him and love him is different than anybody. You don't have to copy anybody. If you want to raise a hand, raise a hand. That's great. But understand that when you really love him, with your God-given personality, the way that you express that is going to be different than everybody else. You don't have to be a copycat in doing like what everybody else does. 
But what I challenge you to do is set the direction of your soul by spending time at the feet of Jesus and talking with Him and understanding that it is the power of Christ in and through your life. And Jesus sets that example Himself when He was struggling in the garden, knowing that He was faced with the cross, dying for the sins of the world. He said, oh God, is there any way this cup can pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He set the example for us. But then he says we're to love him with all of our mind. What does it mean to really love God with all of your mind? I believe it means to put God's truth not just in your heart, but also in your mind. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, listen to this powerful verse. He said, finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if anything is excellent, notice, are praiseworthy, I love this, think on these things. What does that mean? Let me show you quickly. Whatsoever is true, it means to meditate upon God's truth. God's love will never let you down. God's promises will never let you down. And when you focus on God's truth and you are obedient, you act upon it, it will not let you down. He says whatsoever is noble. That means appreciate God's worth. The idea of a noble person is one who is aware of the fact that God is always working around him, that God is busy, God is, God is actively seeking those who are lost. He says whatsoever is right. God's reminding us to cooperate with God's plan before you do anything. Understand God has a plan, God has a will, God has a purpose for your life. He says whatsoever is pure, that is appropriate, God's cleansing. When you pray, God, forgive me my sin, cleanse my heart. There are times I, I was visiting with a guy earlier about, he says, I'm, I, I still struggle with that aspect of how do I let go of hurt. And sometimes that anger comes back. And one of the things that I've realized a long time ago, that even when you confess and repent and you forgive, it doesn't erase your memories. But let me tell you what does happen. You can refocus your thoughts on what is pure. That's why he says, bring every thought under captivity. So that when those thoughts come, I stop and I say, God, I give them to you. Because I know if I, if I continue to dwell on these things, then Satan takes land and he starts building structures on that land. And next thing you know, I'm, 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 I'm being resentful and I'm mad and I hate and I want to get even. And that's not where God wants you to live. He says, whatsoever is lovely. You ever stop to think about to appreciate God's abundance? That everything that you have is a gift from God. It's not how well you did on your job and all the successes that you may have had and all the accolades and all the plaques and all the focus. Listen to me. You have to come to realize that you have to thank God and praise Him for the abundance of your life. And then he says, whatever is admirable or commendable, that is communicate God's encouragement. It is easy to see the faults in others. That's our old flesh. But when you truly love God, you don't see those faults, but you truly see those needs. And you see that character of Christ in them, and you tell them and encourage them with that. And then he says, if anything is excellent, be motivated by the greatness of your God. How great, how am I, I love some of the songs that we sing. Your daily life, every moment of your day, of your life, Somewhere you need to be thinking about the greatness of God, that the motivation of your life is God's greatness and the motivation, uh, it lasts forever. Why? Because it's in Him. It's not in me. It's not in what I can do. It's in what God does. 
And then he says, if anything is praiseworthy, celebrate God's goodness. And sometimes that goodness comes in joy, and sometimes it also comes in sadness. But you still have to celebrate it. Because you know that all things do work together for good to those who love the Lord are called according to His purpose. You remember what I said at the beginning of the message? That God's principles cannot change your life? They can't. But your belief in and your faith in and your obedience into those principles and those truths can change your life. And then he says we're to love him with all of our strength. Only way you can love him with all your strength is let me give you three quick things and I'll be done. First of all, you must have complete confidence that God can do absolutely anything. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Nothing. But do we really believe it? Because if we believe it, we'll act like it. Do we really and truly believe God can do anything and everything? Because He can. And then you must completely be convinced that you can do absolutely nothing of ultimate and eternal significance without the power of Jesus. You can't do it on your own. And you have to believe that. And then you have to trust God to turn your weakness into His strength. Two quick applications for loving God. He says to know God is to trust Him. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Abraham. Abraham is sitting there, got everything in the world going for him, and God says, hey, I want you to pick it up, pack it up, because I'm going to send you somewhere. Well, God, where are we going? I'll tell you when we get there. And I've always admired Abraham because he doesn't argue, he doesn't fuss, he doesn't complain, he doesn't say, God, wait a minute. Before, we, before I, I, I move one camel, I've got to know where we're going. But because he knew God and the promises of God, he trusted and he stepped out in faith. Family, hear me this morning. To love God, you've got to know God. To know God, you've got to trust God. And trusting comes down to one big word. It is obedience. Because when I am disobedient, then fundamentally... I'm saying I don't know him, I don't trust him, and I don't love him. Here's the last thing. To love God is to want to become like God. Here's what I want you to write down, and I want you to hang on to it. Obedience is its own reward. Let me say that again. Obedience is its own reward. When you and I love Jesus Christ, and we have a passion, we want to be like Him. It is when we obey Him, we become like Him. Somewhere, this black ink has to leap off the page and get in here. And the only way that happens is when I read God's truth, by faith I believe it, now listen to me, and by faith I act upon it. The fact that God loves you, the fact that God doesn't want any to perish, the fact that God wants to empower you to live this Christian life means absolutely nothing until, first of all, you're willing to confess your sins and make Him the Lord of your life. And then every day you have to die to self because self wants to always be the boss. Self wants to be in control. So I have to choose to say, God, this is what I read. This is what I believe. This is what I act upon. That's why I said obedience is its own reward. 
So here's my question for you this morning as we close. How well do you know God? I'm not talking about a head knowledge. I'm not talking about a theology. I'm talking about how well do you know him? How much time do you spend in his word on a weekly basis? How much time do you spend worshiping him before you ever come here on Sunday morning? Because I got news for you. Nothing of worship is really going to happen unless you're worshiping him all week long. This is the overflow of what's happening in our life all week long. How much did you serve him this past week? Where you voted time and energy to say, I'm going to do something to advance the kingdom of God. Because when we know him, we love him. And when we love him, we worship him, we serve him. Because we're putting faith into action. Again, because when you truly, truly know him, you will love him and you'll obey. Let's stand. Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you for such a powerful and such a beautiful commandment. And yet I realize and recognize in my own life, I have read these words so many times and I go, yep, I love God. But I wonder, do my actions say to the world, the man Jesus is so real in me. Do people really see me or do they see Jesus in me? Do they know that I love you more than I love anything else? As much as I love my kids, as much as I adore my grandchildren, do I love you more than all of that? As much as I love this church and this family, but do I truly love you more than that? Do you understand that all that you've given me is a gift? And do I praise you and do I thank you every day for all that you have blessed? Father, stir within us a movement, Father, to not just talk about it, but live it passionately. the world knows that you are truly Lord. Speak to our hearts today. Move within us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.